the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. And I want to welcome you to another Monday edition of Lifeline. You heard our announcer. Yours truly, Jesse Gistan, in the house with you for the next couple of hours, at least. Well, if the Lord is willing, I'm just glad to be here one more time. Listen, I'm thinking through a number of things, and I and I hope that I can uh, draw your attention into some of these uh, complex thoughts that I'm having. Complex thoughts around life, complex thoughts about where you and I are right now. Complex, not in that I'm not... It's not so much that I'm, you know, befuddled or confused or I could even say I'm not troubled, but I am dealing with some complex issues. And and maybe that is because of a broadening of the periphery of my conception of life and the world and you and I and 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 God's providence and humanity and all of the well, the word is complexity. <laughs> it's complexity. Our lives are complex. Our um, our inner relationships are complex. Our our thought processes are complex. Don't you ever doubt it? Things are less simple now than they have been for a long time. And um, when you begin to uh, get a little older, you you understand that that what is a mark of wisdom and uh, um prudence in the area of simplicity is uh, almost um difficult to find if at all present in the life of individuals today in our world and particularly in a first world country that uh, that is just encumbered about with so many things that uh, uh distract us from ultimate reality just kind of keep us um, immersed in, bogged down by uh, daily life on a ton of levels. And right now, I'm kind of thinking through um, what we are dealing with in terms of uh, the present holiday and and how the new year has, uh, you know, ushered in. You know, every time uh, we enter into a new year and I'm happen, I happen to be part of the program, the Lifeline program on Mondays. Honored to have done this now for at least 12 years. Never thought that would be the case. Had never even thought about the idea of being on radio on a personal level chatting with you and just talking with you about life, politics, religion, culture, uh, and, and all of the complex issues that go into our biological, sociological, spiritual, and very, very, very concrete, practical world. Um, here we are today, um, many of us Americans, very much aware of the symbolic connotation 
of uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s sacrifice, his suffering, his um, his symbolic uh, representation of a of a whole group of uh, African American people and, and and people of color in general, and what the era of uh, Jim Crow. Uh, meant by way of the transition out of uh, a a a um a very dark period in human history, but when we look at today, our present moment, January twentieth. Uh, uh, 2020. By the way, for those of you, hundreds of people who have been part of our prayer team, my prayer team, and I know you listen, uh, and we started some 90 days ago back in November. Uh, here we are, the final day, January 20th, 2020. We made it into the new year, having prayed through a number of fundamental prayers as a unit, as a composite, as a collaborative. I'm so thankful that you joined me. Uh, I started this somewhere around uh, pre-Thanksgiving, calling upon the people of God in my congregation, uh, Grace Bible Church in Hayward, and then people abroad, you know, the folks who just kind of know me and I know them, joined me uh, via email, a big email group of people, hundreds, to pray daily from November 20th all the way up to the present uh, pray daily uh, three times a day, 7 a.m. in the morning, 12 noon, as well as 7 p.m. I, I know, I know that many of you had a real challenge, as did I, at, at certain points of our 90-day excursion uh, of keeping up with that three uh, three times a day regimen. But remember what I told you that that prayer has to be understood in its authenticity. It has to be stu- understood in terms of its formality, but it also has to be understood in terms of its flexibility. Remember, those were the three pillars upon which we built the notion that we would pray for a number of things. I want to remind you of them. And then I do have some questions that I want to raise about the Martin Luther King celebration today and its impact in your life and mine. I got fundamental questions I want to uh, engage you in. I'm hoping that you'll be willing to uh, answer these questions via a phone call. Um, but what we did was we uh, we stated that we would take on Uh, Five critical characteristics as prayer requests to God that we would ask our father to help us in the area of growth. We would ask our father to help us in the area of liberation. And then we would ask our father to help us in the area of strength. And then we would ask our father to help us in the area of of uh, uh, area of healing, and then finally in the area of success. Let me run through those five categories again. Father, grant me grace to grow. And in growing me, grant me grace to experience liberation up out of and into areas that you need me to focus on, you need me to overcome. And growth allows that. When we don't grow, we are constricted. When we do grow, we find in that growth process liberation to do things and liberation to overcome things. And then we we prayed for strength because when you are growing and you are exercising the virtues of choices based upon liberties that allow you to move in directions that you couldn't before or out of directions into which you were in bondage, 
The exercise of growth and liberation choices leads to strength. You grow that way. We understood this as grace, as the analogy of the body. Your body will atrophy. It will fall apart. It will decay if you don't keep growing. To grow, you must experience flexibility or a liberation so that your limbs can move and exercise and reach out and pull in calisthenically and, and otherwise. And when you do that, whether you know it or not, you build a kind of strength anatomically. And this is all applied in the spiritual dimension as well. So we want to be strong in the Lord and in the what power of his might by making right choices to do and making right choices not to do and experiencing the development of the strength that comes from that practice. That strength really leads to healing. There are a lot of times that we are not being healed and we are not experiencing healing because we are not doing the arduous work and the difficult exercises that flexibility allows when we have chosen to submit to a growth process for healing to occur. Can I get amen on that? And then finally, when healing occurs, where we are seeing some growth and flexibility and some mobility in our spiritual anatomy, we now can be more successful in our walk with God in the sense that we can do his will much more readily than if we were in an atrophied mode of sickness, illness, bondage, restrictions, constraints, etc. You guys follow what I'm saying? The five categories in were in the area of five qualities were in the area of growth. They were in the area of liberty. They were in the area of flexibility. That is uh, in the area of strength. They were in the area of healing. They were in the area of uh, being able to do the will of God from the heart successfully. We prayed 90 days for that. And then we applied it in these several categories. We applied it to our own persons, our families our husbands, our wives, our children. We, we prayed for our children to grow. We prayed for our spouses to grow. We prayed for ourselves to grow and to be liberated and to be strengthened and to be healed and to be successful. And we prayed for our church, our local church, to experience those five horizontal categories. Now that we're operating our qualities, rather, now that we're operating out of the categories, we're going down a list of about 10 things, personally, family, church wise. And then we prayed for the larger church. I know all kinds of local churches that I love and respect and I collaborate with and serve here in the community as well as across the nation and thankfully around the world for whom we prayed that God would allow those five qualities to enter into their lives and bring about this kind of healing and success and growth, etc. And then we we prayed for our nation and we prayed for our leaders and we prayed uh, for revival in our nation. We prayed for revival. We prayed that God would do what he said he could do in turning the hearts of the kings whithersoever he will as the rivers of water. We prayed for that, and we're continually praying for that. We're praying for revival in the church, a radical need for the church to become alive again, because in so many areas it is atrophied, and it is dead, and it is distracted, and it is hindered by so many maladies. 
And then we prayed for the world, lost men and women, unsaved folks, individuals who never heard the precious, redemptive message of Jesus Christ and the power of his uh, atoning work to bring them out of death into life, bring them from darkness to light, and then bring them into the community of the people of God. So shall the body of Christ being the kingdom of God present in this world impact this world to some good. And then we prayed for Christ to return. We prayed for Christ to return. So we have five qualities and then we had 10 characteristics that we prayed for daily. And then we applied that prayer process to individual situations. And believe you me, ladies and gentlemen, from November 20th to today, I've as a pastor had to deal with burying all sorts of people dealing with multiple sicknesses, but at the same time, reports of praise for healing and deliverance and growth and maturity and freedom. And one of the other things we prayed for in the context of revival was the restoration of of lapsing Christians who have just drifted far, far, far from the peaceful shore. And God's been doing all that as well. I say this as I get ready to enter into my uh, more pointed subject for today, that one of the areas in which you would be uh, unwittingly lacking, child of God, is in the area of a vital and robust prayer life that is comprehensive enough to be able to embrace your world and give you insight into the real important factors of your world uh, with the power and grace that comes with your relationship with God. Uh, I said it to our congregation. If you're not praying, it's indicative that you don't care. And if you don't care, it's indicative that you don't know. You can't pray for something you don't know about or care about. And when you and I don't know and care, we cannot be operating with the eyes of God concerning this world. It's just not possible. So you see how beneficial that those five categories are and and, uh, five qualities are in 10 categories. I'll probably repeat them at the end of the program, but we've got a great program for us today. I'm looking forward to the second hour, but I want to nurture you around some things now. If you're listening, here's the number that I want you to get ready to call me and engage me on one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I want to talk to you about the undeniable blessing and benefits of the civil rights movement, um, of which today we are still fighting uh, many things that came up out of that era. Um, But the era of the civil rights movement, which was symbolized by the death of Martin Luther uh, King Jr. and Robert F. Kennedy, as well as J. uh, Robert Kennedy, as well as J.F. Kennedy as well. There were several people who um, fell up under that axiom of scripture that without the shedding of blood, there is no what remission of sin that that let us know Uh, during that era. There were so many people who died, not just Martin Luther King, but he becomes symbolic and a compendium of it of it all. There were so many who died during that civil rights era. I remember that era well, even being a little child, and I understood uh, intrinsically, intuitively, not spiritually. I hadn't been born again, but I remember living in a hyper vulnerable state. 
Do y'all remember that, you baby boomers? Y'all know what I'm talking about. I remember living in that hyper-vulnerable state, one 888 Get your pens out because I want to talk to you about this. And, and of course, we've got to take it to that redemptive level. Uh, this conversation means nothing without the heavens opening up and God blessing and endorsing our dialogue. But do you remember that era? Uh, those of you who would have been living at that time as a young person or a young teenager or young adult, how vulnerable those times were for so many reasons they were uh, vulnerable. Do you remember that time and, and how lots of people were dying for uh, all kinds of um, very inconspicuous uh, reasons? And, and, and a lot of the death that took place at that time uh, was unanswered for. There was no justice. There was no, no real resolution. There was no real um, response on the part of our government to take care of those things. It seemed like our society was unraveling right before our eyes. And it did create a pathology among many of us that really did take on a, a pattern of uh, narcissism and uh, hostility and anger and uh, and it formed itself into reactions that uh, have impacted many of us for many years and I, I say all that to say that if you weren't uh, part of that era you can't actually appreciate their struggle like those of us who weren't part of the era of our parents and grandparents who lived in that, that pre-civil rights era where it was absolutely normative for them to just be be completely dogged and disregarded and and torn down not only on the outrageous level of hostile, uh, presumed superior people, whether white or other, but even on the subtle level of just the uh, uh, false notion of superiority that allow individuals to act far, far, far from the Christian decorum that they pretended that they had, uh, had walked in as an axiom of life, as a principle of life. And what kind of fortitude and what kind of strength it would have required for our parents and grandparents and great grandparents to live, mine of which were slaves. So I understand something about that by way of genealogy, don't understand it experientially, except the aftermath of that slavery period that left open a, a, a very, very vulnerable period of the civil rights movement, which was a reaction to just oppression and a number of things. We still are living with some of the dregs of. I'm thinking about today as we are fighting through homelessness, we are fighting through poverty, we are fighting through um, uh, degeneration of our educational system, especially in California, which at the top of the hour, I'll be having a conversation with one of our our members uh, at Grace around uh, her running to be part of the school board to help fix that problem. Uh, In several categories, education becomes critical for our liberation. You know that. You absolutely know that. But I'm I'm thinking briefly about the Mothers for Housing uh, conflict and uh, expose that occurred a few weeks ago and kind of has now subsided here in Oakland and then was kind of taken up again in San Jose where some people gathered together and and, and was able to uh, build up, fix up a home for the purpose of helping homeless mothers with their kids uh, and, and what that what that particular epic, what that particular theater of conflict and battle mean symbolically for California because California is in a mess whether our legislature whether our congressmen and senators and our governor wants to admit California is in a mess on a ton of levels but the era of the civil rights movement symbolized by the suffering of Martin Luther King and others no doubt cultivated watch this a clearer and better 
society of respect and engagement, even though it is all still and yet in many ways falling apart. And and the reason why it's falling apart, in my opinion, is because Christ is not in it, uh, including the church. But let me say it like this, because here's the question I'm raising after we pay some bills. I'll entertain uh, you healthy callers. Okay, (laughs) I believe that what happened in the civil rights movement has fallen out to have cultivated a clearer and better society of respect and engagement on the part of our multi-ethnic society, at least. And in many other areas, I heard all day long by all the news uh, sites and different people responding who were in the civil rights movement that we've come a long way. That's my point. So here's the question that I'm going to raise, and I want you to speak to this issue. Is it okay for the cup, for the cup of life, to be both half empty and half full at the same time? Is it all right to have a view that the cup is half empty? That is to have a pessimism about life based upon and rooted in some realities. And for the cup to be half full based upon an optimism that is also rooted in some realities. Y'all got the question? And why would you fall on either side of it? Pessimism or optimism? But this is a fundamental logical question. Philosophical question. Is the cup half full? Or half empty or both. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Gonna take a break. When I come back, I'll begin to take your phone calls, fill the lines up because I want to hear where you have been impacted positively or negatively by the civil rights movement up to not just today, but this moment. You're listening to the Monday edition of Lifeline, your host, gladly, happily in the Lord, Jesse Giston. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. 534, three lines open, one triple eight. One triple eight, three six seven five, three two nine, one triple eight, three six seven five, three two nine two. Join my discussion. Uh, I'm raising the question about where you and I are today, and it really has to do with your awareness of the world at large, one. Your awareness of the world locally, two. And your present life. Those are the three sort of foundational frameworks out of which this question occurs. Is the cup half empty or half full for you? The cup of life, the cup of uh, our world condition, your particular world condition, your response to the world, your observation of the world, your your participation in the world. How has your life, your local world and your your world at large, based upon as much as you might know about the world at large, impacted you so that your assessment of the world is either half full or half empty? I'll use myself as an example. Three lines open. One, triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. Has the world impacted you and made you bitter? Or has the world impacted you and made you better? Impact meaning the unavoidable consequences of being in the world. The Lord made it very plain that we are in the world if we're believers, but not of it. In the world, you will have tribulation. Here is the juxtaposition uh, argument or promise, but be of good cheer. But be of good cheer. Are you of good cheer? 
that's what I'm getting at. Before this day expires and uh, and and Martin Luther King Jr.'s you know celebration of life uh, passes on, and we we continue to disregard the the uh, aftermath of that whole civil rights movement. It's it's positives, it's negatives, it's benefits, it's impact, and the the uh, the residual effect of our lives today. When I think about the struggle today, is the struggle uh, uh, further along the positive spectrum or further along the negative spectrum? I want to hear from you on that. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Well, while I say that, here is what I want you to think about. I said it earlier. If you are living with your head in the sand. If you are living with your mind on something that is less noble than who God is as the creator of the universe, not some abstract, impersonal sort of a deity concept, but the true and the living God in his uh, trifle person and his his integration into the world that he created by virtue of his redemptive intentionality, his redemptive intentions, which has been revealed to you and I because we're saved. We are a product of God's invading our world. And he tells us that he invades the whole world. We all live, move, and have our being in God. How does the world up to this present moment impact you? Are you a pessimist and the cup is half empty and getting emptier? Or are you an optimist and the cup is half full and getting fuller in some dimension, some respect, some aspect? Three lines open. one 367 5329 The question that I am raising will indicate whether or not you have... Um, experienced uh, the positive uh, qualities of of the outpouring of the Spirit of God uh, in your life um, in a way of transforming you and, and renewing your mind and bringing about the kingdom of God in your own heart. Um, so give me a call, one 367 Let me go to line one and talk with my brother and friend Dan in Sonoma. Dan, how are you today? Wow, um, I thank you. Um, because of Christ being involved, and I know wh- when He is, there's going to be demonic and fleshly opposition to that. Okay. Um, I hope that what you have to say, what I have to say, will be the beginning and not the end of the conversation. Excellent. And, uh, Excellent. I was thinking about how Gandhi in India was ma- able to make less of a difference, what I consider in India, than. Martin Luther King has made in the United States. Hmm. And I think that's because of the Christian outlook. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. ethic behind it, even people who are not Christians are not willing to drop the, some people, I mean, are not willing to drop the whole ethic of um, mercy, grace, and fairness you right. know, that he advocated. And uh, wow, your personal question to me, I was going to respond that I had to kind of force myself to get involved with people in the Latino community, and okay. it was against my emotional makeup. Got it. So I had to force the issue and try to say, okay, what's going on with this? What's going on with culture? What's going on with uh, language? What's going on with uh, music? What's going on with uh, family? How mm-hmm. the different attitudes toward mm-hmm. uh, family? Mm-hmm. And uh, as maybe a six or eight year old, I already realized when I was going to school that things seemed to be balanced in my favor okay. instead of against me. Right. And uh, they put out a lot of propaganda. You can be president of the United States. Not everybody's going to be president. Absolutely. But not. the kids of my era were told that constantly. Right. 
do well academically, strive, uh, put yourself forward, learn social skills, and maybe you're going to end, end up being president of the United States. Did anybody ever tell you that? Not at all. And I love our conversation, Dan, just because we, you and I fit the paradigm that I'm trying to draw out of other people who may not even got have gotten my narrative. But you did. And, and not at all. And I really this is the conversation that I want to have for this next 20 minutes. And that is uh, how did the world in which you lived and I lived and you, you, you're younger than I am. So you're not, you're not quite as aware of kind of that nemesine period of Martin Luther King as I am, but if you only still two or three years, cause I was born in 62. Okay. So, so you're absolutely right where well, you were there. And, it, and, and I know something about consciousness being healthy at two and three years old. So you, you were there, you were there. And what I love about what you just stated is that there were uh, value reinforcement statements given to you that we're not given to little black boys like me, and and yet I don't feel like that inhibited me uh, from uh, you know from destiny and and from achieving. I don't feel like that part inhibited me. There were other things that inhibited me, Dan, that were too distracting to overcome in order to actually live out of the intrinsic self dignity that I had that I could be anything that I was designed to be. But I never heard that I could be president. I, I never heard that. I, it was the, it, it was never uttered by my parents. It wasn't uttered by my community. It wasn't uttered by anyone during that time. Amazing. So go ahead on. Well, like I was saying, you know, I was just playing Streets of Laredo. It was an old ballad. And sure. Based off of another ballad. And the music that I was out here in California, you hear Central Texas music. And yep. Yeah, music, and yep. you hear ranchera music, and you, I started with, what's going on with that? So I started to try to understand the words and the dignity and the, you know, behind it. And uh, you know, I'm not trying to lump Mexicans as the only Latinos in the world, but but uh, I just had to kind of try because it sort of happened by accident that I met African American people and Chinese people and sure, stuff. Sure, sure. But I would meet I would meet Mexicans and feel a little bit. Put off, and then they would be friendly to me, and say, "Well, why am I being distant when this guy's being friendly to me?" And then I would start to realize, "You gotta." I think something's being said, but um, like I said, I'd like to be have that to be the beginning of the conversation rather than the end. Right, um, xenophobia, and, and and it's intrinsic to all of us as a fundamental principle of self-preservation. When we don't live for something bigger than ourselves, I totally get it. And particularly when we're we don't have that uh, element um, viewed in its proper context. You know, uh, assuming uh, you are our typical Caucasian brother, that brother that has had many of the uh, fundamental benefits of an average middle class or maybe an upper middle class uh, lifestyle here in California where we, and I love California, by the way, for so many reasons compared to many other states of which I'm also a part of, Texas and Louisiana, uh, of which we have had to deal with integration for, for a long period of time and therefore bump up against people that are other than ourselves. The xenophobic intrinsic principle of self-preservation puts up a wall. And, and sometimes if you have already had reinforced in you a fundamental superiority uh 
uh, complex, then uh, then yeah, then you you might be inclined to to view that culture that you don't understand as irrelevant, uh, buffoonic, and uh, and something that that might need to be discarded until you were compelled to draw into many of the cultural um, expressions that our Latino brothers brought with them that basically kept them from being fully cut off from the noble and virtuous aspects of uh, of a Mexican and, and Central American and and uh, that part of the world uh, in terms of, you know, uh, no nobility and virtue and goodness and struggle and battle and success. Many of the songs were all about their culture, as you know now. I'm sure you you know now. And that's why they brought them with them and sang them as they made their way from the devastation of their own country here to America. I, I remember distinctly as a young married person hearing that uh, just married with my first three daughters and we lived in an apartment complex that the first year that we were there, Dan, it was all uh, uh, blacks and whites. Uh, by the second year, third year, it was almost all Latino. So in that little block of a cul-de-sac that we lived in, it transformed in three years. And the next thing you know, we were no longer listening to R&B. <laughs> we were listening to Latino songs all day long. And then, uh, you know, out all night, too, because once they had, the, you know, quesinetas, you know, it was party time. And so we were immersed in that, immersed in that culture as well uh, as you were. And it was strange to us um, also. But um, here we are today at this time. So I'm going to ask you before I let you go. Um, For you, uh, has the world at large and your world locally and your life in it produced in you, Dan, a uh, a positive uh, view of life on its trajectory towards the ultimate climax as a Christian? You know where we are going and what the outcome is. Has your world experience for now, I guess some like 56 years, uh, affected in you just as an assessment between that time and the civil rights movement and up to now, uh, a half empty cup or a half full cup? I just want to ask you before I let you go. That was a perfect way to phrase it because we have the warnings in the Bible about things getting worse, and we have the blessing in the Bible about the ultimate promises being fulfilled yep. by Jesus Christ. So, you know, it's going to be scary, but yep. that is the way that we're going to get through the scary part to the good part. Yep. Is you know, here we I see some terrible things happen in the United States right now. Yep. Yep. Uh, but the the fact is that those promises are going to carry us through that. Yep. And uh, God's going to keep His promises. So. Uh, you know, did he promise that we have a smooth ride? You know, the Word of Faith movement, did he promise we're going to get rich and have a smooth ride and everything's going to come out rosy right now? Of course not. Uh, of course not. So. Of course not. Excellent. Thank you for the call, my brother. Bless you. Got to take a break, pay some bills. All the lines are open. If anybody else wants to step into our brother Dan's spot and engage me for the next 15 minutes around this very germane question. Has your life since the civil rights movement up to this present point produced a view, vision, uh, an assessment of the world as being half empty because of a pessimistic worldview rooted in experience or half full optimistically based upon uh, biblical truth, promises of God and your walk with God? One triple eight. 
1-888-367-5329 is the number to reach me on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. We're back at the time, 552. All the lines are open, one 367 The question that I raised and Dan was so willing to actually enter into that conversation with me around where are you with your view of the world actually actually is really just asking you the question, how well are you doing in your walk with God relative to the big picture and its impact on you and the world's impact on you as well? I'm going to kind of dig down a little deeper into that question just in case uh, it's apprehensive for you or something that's just hard for you to even um, wrap your arms around to, to, to call and let me know. one 367 though I'd love to have one more person before this segment is up. Um, are you where you are in your walk with God today? If you've been around for 30, 40 years. You don't even have to have been around that long. If you have been the kind of person that has been exposed to this robust uh, universal media that allows all of us in uh, in the present time simultaneously to be able to gather data and information that can collectively impact us, our consciousness around a particular topic. And, you know, that would be. Uh, presently, the topic of uh, poverty, the prop, uh, topic of uh, racism, um, and and there are three pillars that 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 Martin Luther King operated out of. I'll take some of you you folks who are like Martin Luther King uh, advocates, and I'll ask you: there were three fundamental pillars out of which Martin Luther King uh, uh, advocated against. Three fundamental pillars. Do you know what they are? Those three fundamental pillars, and in those three fundamental pillars of which he. Uh, uh, expounded, argued against, and and opposed. Uh, did any of those three pillars come down from that time to now? Do you know those three pillars? One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. And the reason that I raise that question up is because of my former question: If you have a view of the world as half empty, what are the Christian justifications for it? If you have a view of the world as half full, what are the Christian justifications for it relative to your view of the world, your at large, your view of the world locally, just your local environment, and your view of how your local at-large world has impacted you? Is it also legitimate to say that the cup is both half full and half empty? one 367 Is the cup half full and half empty? One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Now I'm going to share with you something that is going to be sort of an augment of my multiple streams of thought here that may also serve to compel you to want to chat with me. Um, I was watching a very fascinating documentary last night on uh, the uh, Vietnam, Vietnam War. Just an absolutely well put together, I think an hour and a half, two hour piece on P- PBS around the Vietnam War. And I was keenly aware of the correlation between the Vietnam War and the civil rights movement at the same time. And uh, with clips that were vivid and gross 
and real about the, the, the ravages of the war. And I watched this at about 9 or 10 o'clock last night after having a wonderful time with my uh, son-in-law and my grandchildren who happened to be of Asian descent as well as Vietnamese. And me and my son-in-law had a very probing dialogue around it because his father was in the, uh, the, the, the Vietnam War. And so while I'm sitting and watching, I'm thinking about uh, the battle that was going on over there and the battle that was going on over here. And here's a conclusion that I'm drawing. and I'm going to extract a redemptive principle and share with you now. Okay, a redemptive principle and share with you now. You need to be very careful. Not to be distracted. By wars. That are erected and promote it to take you away from the critical battles that you and I should be fighting relative to our calling and our gifting and our mission. War can be and often is distracting. It was Martin Luther King Jr. who said the civil rights movement has been hijacked by the Vietnamese war, the war in Vietnam, in certain ways so that people uh, began to uh, shift their attention towards what was going on in Vietnam. But the problem is, is that much of the Vietnam war from the standpoint of the media all the way from the White House down was nothing but propaganda, quite frankly, which would be affirmed by my uh, my son's father. Uh, whom I know well, who would make that clear to you as being one in the Vietnam War. He wrote a book about it. I'm looking forward to interviewing him one day on this program about a Christian view of the Vietnam War. It will be fascinating, riveting, and I'll let you know when. But my question to you is, are you very much aware of the fact that there are kinds of wars going on in the dimension of uh, uh, of the spiritual realm uh, that are designed to distract you from the real battle, real war to which God has called you to engage in? Do you understand that? In fact, they go on every day in our lives. As a pastor, I have to deal with that, with all kinds of brokenness that goes on in our world. Uh, And these wars will make it hard for you to be able to answer the fundamental question that I'm raising. Is the cup half full? Is it half empty? Is your perspective of the world and its uh, its present activities, manifestation and expression of being uh, and your local world uh, in relationship to who you are as a believer? Is it half full, half empty? Are you pessimistic or optimistic? And why? one 367 I got a little time for another caller in that regard. Um, I'm going to talk to Renee and Novato to close out this discourse. Renee, I hope that you are, um, I hope that you have enough grace to uh, engage me on this topic, given what I know about what you have recently gone through with the, lo- with the loss of your spouse. Are you okay? Well, by the grace of God, yes. Okay, good. So are you calling yeah. to engage me on, on, on our topic? Yes, because it's a, right down to the essence of, of the human being. Um, Agreed. Out, outside of Christ, you know, everything is uh, um, vanity and fruit, meaningless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so with the experience that I've had, um, my cup initially seemed empty, mm-hmm. not just half empty. It was empty, but uh, through the process of uh, understanding, 
in the years that the God that that the Lord has kept me in His in His uh, kingdom in His realm, uh, I've grown to understand His sovereignty, mm-hmm. and that uh, as much as we would like to change um, people's hearts or people's minds, mm-hmm. um, without the Holy Spirit having been given to anybody, mm-hmm. their destination. You know, is as God has said it. Mm-hmm. He will have mercy on whom He will have mercy, and He will have compassion on whom He will compassion. And so, True. having to deal with that on my own level, mm-hmm. you know, um, my cup is is half full. Good. Um, understanding uh, God's uh, unchanging um, essence and His unchanging um, love and grace and judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of that, outside of myself, you know, I see how, um, in the world, in a world view, um, it's, it's sad to see, uh, the, 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 the villainous and the, uh, emptiness of human beings that are engaged in, uh, which I used to be engaged in politics and just followed it just to... Um, to try to change things, but understanding that um, I had to do... Uh, God showed me that I needed to be centered on Him and not on the world events, um, because I couldn't change anything outside of my own um, household. Right. You know, let, let alone in a community where I didn't have a perspective of of the righteousness and, and a, a right judgment. So let's take that for a moment because I want to put a put a bow on that one just for for time's sake. I appreciate your call on this. What you have assessed, uh, Renee, is the sustaining power of a proper view of God as sovereign and therefore in control of all events that take place in the world, which biblical view is not really held by hardly anyone in the world along with a bunch of Christians, I'll be honest with you, very few professing Christians can really retain a comprehension of the absolute intricate pervasive sovereignty of God, of God over evil and good as being something within the spectrum of God's ultimate purpose. Uh, and therefore, as the scriptures would say, uh, all things are still working together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. You are living that out in the juxtaposition of pain and loss and futility around you and yet hopefulness because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Would that be a good assessment of it? Very, very much so, because, you know, you can... I could I could easily just uh, go into a um, pity pity party yep. and just um, yep. you know uh, either either ask God to change the situation or just let me in, in an insight as to His will and all that. But uh, the, the secret things of God belong to Him. That's right. And so uh, I just uh, have to settle and uh, rest in. In what God has shown me thus far, in 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 who I was and who I am now in Him, mm-hmm. and that humbles me. And but also now looking at the world world perspective, of course, um, like you said, there is constant distractions, yep. constantly focusing uh, on man's um, wisdom, on his riches, on his power, 
and um, people will will kill for that, and they and they have done so, you know, for centuries. So. Absolutely. Look here, I'm going to have to take a break, but here's what I want to uh, take away as a contribution on your part to our listening audience, because I'm really trying to press down some real reflection and thought, and I know you're already there just by virtue of the challenges you've had recently. The Bible says in First John chapter five, verse four, "What is it that overcomes the world?" Is it not even this, even our faith? So there is a world overcoming faith that God gives all of his people by which they can actually see optimism in the midst of pessimism. It doesn't matter how dire the circumstance is. Renee, thank you for your call. Keeping you and your family in prayer, my dear brother. Bless you. I got to take a break. Hold on. Um, uh, John Yvette, you hold on. Jermaine, you hold on. Sandra, I'll catch you after we pay some bills on this Monday edition of Lifeline. We'll be right back. 